0: Good morning everyone, and welcome to our very special service. I feel like I can focus kind of all the way on this side of the church this morning. Um, it's super exciting to be here, it's going to be a very special service, and one of the reasons why is Cohen's Mama and Papa um, picked out the songs for this this morning, so I feel like these are probably songs that they want him to um, put deep in his heart, and songs that they. Um, want to be very meaningful to him in his life. So let's stand and sing together. Cry of my heart to follow you, it is the cry of my heart to be close to you, it is the cry of my heart to follow all of the days of my. you more
1: Thank you so much, music team. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our church service this morning. Uh, it's a wonderful, beautiful fall day out there, and uh, what a blessing it is to be together as a church family this morning. Uh, you can see our call to worship is found in your bulletin. It's from Psalm 136, verses 1A and 2B. If you want to re- uh, say it all together as a church congregation, we'll, we'll do that now. So, If you want to open your bulletins, we'll, we'll read it together as a, as a church family. I will give thee thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to thee and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. Amen. Let's open our service with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we bow before you, recognizing uh, your goodness, your mercy, your holiness. And uh, we're just so grateful to be together this morning as a church family that we can gather freely and uh, to worship your name and to give praise and glory and honor to you. So we just ask your blessing upon us this morning, and we pray that what you see and hear from us will be a pleasing sound. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. A one.
2: The scripture reading this morning is from First Samuel. So, if you'd like to turn to First Samuel chapter one. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. There was a certain man of Ramathanium Zulfrium, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zerph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year from year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took up, with her along, took up along with her a three-year-old bull, an ephath of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I had made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there.
3: Uh, bow our heads and ask God to guide our thoughts as we look through this uh, passage of scripture. Lord God, we want to give thank you, give thanks to you for your word to us, and uh, we just ask that as we go through this, that you would give us understanding as to what is going on here and what you are saying to us through it. I ask, Lord, for a great deal of your wisdom in speaking your word as it should be spoken, and... Uh, as you would want it spoken, so all of us could hear what you are saying and not necessarily what I'm saying. So Lord, take take over and uh, we just ask that you would speak to us and that we would all open our hearts to what you have for us we, this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. So because we are doing uh, child dedication this morning, I thought I would take this opportunity to preach a sermon about parenting. There are several families in our church that are kind of in the middle of raising children. Glory and I are finished with that stage, but some of you are right in the middle of it. I don't often preach about parenting or child rearing, so I think it's appropriate on this Child Dedication Sunday to take this opportunity to do that. Parenting is likely one of the most rewarding and joyful things there is to do in this world. And at the same time, likely the most frustrating and the most tiring and the most stressful thing there is to do. Um, Somebody gave this advice to mothers. So, Shauna, listen up. Unless you deliberately set aside a little time for regular relaxation, you will not be able to efficiently care for your family. So, therefore, plan to relax a minimum of an hour and a half every 15 years. But despite the stress and the fatigue that comes with it, when all things are considered, children are a joy. And none of us parents would have it any other way. But it is a fact that parenting is a great responsibility. God entrusted these children to us, and as Christian parents, we are responsible to raise them for him. (coughs) Excuse me. And no matter what anyone might think of or tell you, Parents, more than anyone else, influence their children. Uh, It is said by leading educators and psychiatrists and psychologists and so on that the first five years of a child's life are crucial years in a child's development. Behavior, they claim, is set by age five, generally speaking. Now, of course, in the first five years, a child is almost exclusively their parents. So parents have a huge influence on their children. Probably more so than anyone else. I'm sure we all want children who will grow up to be people of God. But they must be started right. And that's what this sermon is all about. What I'm going to say here this morning is likely not going to be new to anyone who's here. You've likely heard these truths before. But when it comes to the truths of the word of God we need to remind ourselves of them over and over again. Because these truths are timeless, timeless truths. They're always true, no matter what the time or the place. We're going to be looking this morning at the first chapter of First Samuel, which Chris just read for us. It's the story of Samuel's parents and the birth of Samuel. Samuel, who became later a great prophet of God and would come to have a huge influence on the nation of Israel and turning them toward God. Back toward God. This first chapter of 1 Samuel gives us the glimpse into the home that Samuel was born into. Now the context of this story is significant. It was a spiritually dark time in Israel as this book opens. Just coming out of the period of the book of of Judges. The period the book of Judges describes for us. Have you ever read the book of Judges? You you know it was a dark time in Israel's history. Um, Yes, there was... Still the tabernacle of God. Uh, There's still a priesthood. But the priesthood is corrupt and sinful. The people in general had incorporated the worship of many different idols into their worship of the one true God. The personal lives of the average person in Israel was anything but godly. All kinds of sin were rampant at this time. That's the kind of place Israel was as this book opens. The home of Elkanah, however, was different. It was a home where God was still worshipped and loved. And as we'll see as we go through, it wasn't a perfect home by any means. But nonetheless, the parents of Samuel do give us some good examples about giving our children the right start. And I think it'll be good, first of all, just to go through the story of this chapter so we all understand what's going on. And then we'll look at the lessons to be learned. So let's quickly just go through this chapter. Go through the story. Samuel's father was a man named Elkanah. His ancestry is given for us there in verse one. Elkanah had two wives, named Hannah and Peninnah. Now, polygamy was something that was it was practiced during that time, I, but I think we should make note of the fact that polygamy was never God's idea, never God's ideal. God's idea of marriage right from the beginning is one woman and one man for life. It seemed as you read the Old Testament that God at least allowed it in the case of a childless first marriage and, or that of a Levite marriage, and I won't get into that. That God allowed it in those cases, or at least put up with it. But it is something that God has never condoned and it always led to misery. And it caused problems here. Elkanah, he's probably in love with Hannah, the way it sounds as you read that. But she couldn't have any children. Peninnah, the other wife, on the other hand, had children. But she didn't feel that she had the love of her husband. Sound familiar? <laughs> Jacob, Rachel, Leah, that old story, same thing. So you can see the obvious tensions and rivalry that this would create in that home. But at any rate, Elkanah was a godly man who faithfully every year went up to Shiloh to offer the sacrifices and to worship God. That was something required by the Old Testament law. The tabernacle at this early date was still in a tent in Shiloh. uh, And at a time when spirituality was very low, I'm sure a lot of people didn't even bother obeying this or any other law to go up to the tabernacle at the Feast of Passover to worship there. So Elkanah stood out in his faith and obedience and his obvious desire to walk with God as he very faithfully every year went up to the tabernacle of God at Shiloh to worship. And it seemed that Hannah was also a woman of faith. Both she and Peninnah went with Elkanah to worship. Now this was something that was not required by the Old Testament law. The men were required to go, but the women were not required to go. Now they could go if they wanted to. But it wasn't something God required of them. So that says something, I think, about Hannah and Peninnah and Elkanah. that they all went every year. Now part of the of this worship and the rituals that they went through, they were offered, of course, the sacrifice. Uh, the sacrificial ritual, it was to eat a portion of the sacrifice allotted to them. So when they offered an animal, the priest would take some of the animal. But probably most of it, after it was sacrificed, was cooked and given back to the person making the sacrifice to be eaten before the Lord. So that's what's going on there as you read verse 4 and 5. Elkanah would divide up his portion with Peninnah and her children, all of them receiving a portion, but Hannah always received a double portion, because Elkanah loved her and felt for her. Well, of course, Peninnah would see that, And she would be reminded that Alcana loved Hannah more more than he loved her. And that would arouse her jealousy. And so she in turn would get back at Hannah by reminding her of her childlessness. Which was something that was very serious in those times and in that society. To not have a child was the worst thing that could happen to a woman. So she had rubbed that into Hannah. To the point where Hannah would be in tears and unable to eat. Elkanah tried to console her, but obviously it wasn't very effective. Sometimes we as men, we try our best to console our wives when there's trouble, but uh, we fall a lot short sometimes. So one year after eating her portion of the sacrifice, Hannah, again likely beside herself, went to the temple to pray. And she was deeply disturbed and distressed, and she just poured her heart out to God. And she made a vow to the Lord saying that if the Lord would look kindly on her and take note of her affliction and give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord to serve him all the days of his life. So she dedicated him to be a Nazarite. Uh, that's talked about in the Old Testament. You can look it up sometime. We won't take the time to go through it now. But that's what's not meant by not ever cutting his hair. That's part of the Nazarite vow. So verse 11 talks about that. It was a sign of the parents' dedication to the service of The Lord for life. So that's what Hannah promised. She would give the son back to God for him to serve all the days of his life. So she's there at the temple pouring her heart out. Well, Eli, the high priest, was sitting in his priestly chair by the doorway and he saw Hannah praying. And so deep was her prayer and so distraught was she that when she prayed, her lips were moving, but she didn't talk out loud. And Eli saw this and supposed that Hannah was drunk. So that tells you something about what that society must have been like at that time, doesn't it? For Eli to suspect this, it must have seen it happen quite a bit. So drunkenness among most men and women must have been quite common.
0: <coughs>
3: so Eli rebuked her for drinking too much. But Hannah answered him by saying that she hadn't had anything alcoholic to drink. Rather, she was just an earnest prayer. And she kind of explained a bit to Eli. And I think Eli then realized his mistake and kind of pulled in his horns a bit and told her to go in peace and hope that that her prayer would be answered. So Hannah left and ate and her face was no longer sad. Amazing what prayer will do, isn't it? Good lesson here. We can make this a sermon on prayer if we wanted to. Nothing like deep, earnest prayer and pouring out your soul to God to bring peace to your heart and happiness to your face. Kind of what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, where he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So anyway, the whole family went home, and God answered Hannah's prayer. She conceived, and in due time, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. Samuel, it means name of God. So she named him that because she had asked him of the Lord. When the time came for them to go back to Shiloh the next year, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband that she would wait until Samuel was weaned, and she would take him with her and leave him at the temple before she would go again. So that's what they did. So I don't know what a time period uh, apparently Jewish children were weaned normally at about the age of 3 years old. So when the time came Hannah kept her vow before the Lord. And she brought Samuel to the temple along with an offering and a 3-year-old bull. Some of your translations might say three bulls, and some say 3-year-old bull. Um, Some uncertainty has what the original reading is there and how to translate it. But anyway, brought that offering and an ephah, or about two-thirds of a bushel of flour. They presented the sacrifice and went through the ritual, and then they took Samuel to Eli, the high priest. And Hannah explained to him that she was the woman some years back that had prayed in the temple, and she had prayed for this boy. And God had heard her, God had answered her prayer, And she had dedicated him to the Lord for as long as she lived. So she presented him to Eli the priest there at the temple. And the chapter closes with his words, And he, Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. So obviously this boy had already been taught to worship the Lord, even at the young age. And so they left Samuel there at the temple for Eli to teach the boy how to serve the Lord at the temple. So that's the story. And as I said, there's some good lessons that we want to look at here about parenting. Specifically about starting your children right. So let's look at them. We want to give our children a good start in being people of God. We need to be God's kind of parents. And we can be God's kind of parents by following the examples of Elkanah and Hannah here in in this chapter. So very quickly, three things I want to look at. Three examples. Number one, they put the things of God first. They put the things of God first. Obviously, both Elkanah and Hannah were people who had strong belief and faith in God. In a time when apostasy was rampant and people were forgetting about God and getting into idol worship, Elkanah remained faithful. He went up faithfully every year to sacrifice and worship before the Lord. So he stands out as a man who put the things of God first. Hannah also, she wasn't even required of the Lord to go up to the temple for the yearly sacrifice. But obviously she wanted to. And so worship of God was something that was a top priority in her life as well. (coughs) (coughs) Now, as we've already seen, it was not a home without problems. There are no perfect homes. Every home has their issues. And this home was not a perfect home. But the bottom line, at least it was... There was a faith and a belief in God and a commitment to making the things of God a priority. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, in his old English style, about the problems in this home, and we went through what the problems were. Uh, But anyway, Matthew Henry in his commentary, he says, Doubtless Elkanah was a man who believed and acted on that belief. If the devotions of a family prevail not, To put an end to its divisions. Yet not let. Or sorry. Yet let not the divisions. Put a stop to the devotions. Isn't that good? If the devotions of a family. Prevail not to put an end to its divisions. Yet let not the divisions. Put a stop to the devotions. What a mouthful of truth. So often what happens when we run into problems, we kind of go off the deep end. And we say, what's the use? This isn't working. And you just throw all your devotion to God and just go down, full steam ahead. Don't do that. Problems come. Yes, they will come. But don't let that drive you away from God. And parents, if you want to start your children off right in being people of God, you need to be parents Who put the things of God first. The things of God need to be regarded as essentials. The disciplines of regular Bible reading and praying together. Doing it together with your kids. Reading the Bible with the kids. Praying with the kids. Disciplines of going to church together as a family regularly. They need to be put up there as top priorities. And even if it doesn't put a stop to some of the problems you're facing, don't let the problems put a stop to those disciplines. So how's it going in your home? Are the things of God first? Or are they just done when it's a convenience? And I urge you, make the things of God a priority in your home. It needs to be there if we hope to start our children off right. Even if you don't get anything out of it, and parents of young children They often don't get anything. I'm thinking specifically right now of church. (laughs) Parents with young children often don't get anything out of church. I've heard many say over the years, What's the point of even coming to church? I don't get anything out of it. My kids hinder the other people from getting anything out of it either. What's the point? And And I sympathize. Glory and I have been there. May I encourage you? Keep coming. Keep coming. Sure, there's a period of some years when you may not be getting much out of it. But what message are you giving your kids if you quit coming? On the other hand, what message are you sending if you stop coming? And what message are you sending if you keep coming anyway? I want you to think about that. You need to give your children the message that the things of God are important and are number one priority no matter what. And establish a discipline in your home that this is important. And your kids will learn that discipline. And in the long run, toughing out those years and keep on coming even when it was more of a frustration than a blessing will pay huge dividends. Put the things of God first. Second example, they were people of prayer. They were people of prayer. And that really comes out in Hannah's life. I'm looking at Hannah here. She was a woman who, in the darkest hour, turned to God in prayer. We've already taken note of the effect it had on her. Her face was no longer sad after she had poured her heart out there at the temple. The tremendous therapy in prayer. Being able to take our concerns to God and leave them there. And what a tremendous lesson. It teaches our children. When they see us as parents in the darkest and hardest times, go to God in prayer and come away at peace, knowing that God will look after it. They see our faith. They see that our faith works. And they will come to deeply desire the faith for themselves, personally, when they get old enough to understand it all. Are you a praying family? I, I know it isn't easy. The little ones underfoot. When you finally get to bed, you're so tired you can't concentrate on praying. Yeah, I, I, I know that. It's a discipline that must be learned and developed. And yeah, you don't have to pray at it. evening, <laughs> there's other times in the day. But it's essential prayer. Not only between husband and wife, but prayer with the children as well, and encouraging your children to learn how to pray. And beyond that, let your children see that you always go to God in prayer when faced with difficulties. And that you have faith enough to leave things in God's hands and go away at peace. What a lesson in the reality of faith to your children. If you want to give your children a good start at being people of God, you need to be parents of prayer. Then thirdly and finally, they totally dedicated their children to God. Or their child to God. Samuel was a child that was dedicated by nature of Hannah's promise to God from birth for the rest of his life. That was Hannah's promise to God. And she certainly kept her part. When Samuel was weaned, she brought him to the tabernacle, left him there with Eli the priest to learn from young on how to serve God and, and then to serve him for the rest of his life. Now, obviously, no one today is going to ask you to bring your child to the church and leave him there for the pastor to raise. <laughs> In fact, I beg you don't. <laughs> Shauna, take Cohen home with you when, when you go. A <laughs> little different now. We can't apply it that way. But the principle of dedicating our children and giving them back to the Lord is certainly a principle that we can apply. need to remember something about children. By God's sovereign right, they are his. Before they're ours. And the dedicating in the dedications, we are saying to God, this child is yours. You have permission to do with this child whatever you wish. You have entrusted this child to us. And we will do all we can by the power of God to teach and raise this child for you. And God, you are free to use this child however you like for your glory. This child is yours. That's what Hannah's words there in verse 28 mean. According to one commentator, when you translate that literally, Hannah is saying, the Lord gave him to me, and now I have returned him, uh, whom I attained by prayer to the Lord, as one asked or demanded. Do you view your children like that, parents? Have you totally in your mind given them back to God? Given Him in your mind? Have you given God permission to do with them whatever He might see fit to do? Do you view them as an entrustment loaned to us by God to raise them right and teach them right but nonetheless they're still God's children? In order to give your children the right start that they need to grow up to be the people of God. You need to be parents who are to totally dedicate their children to God. And I'm not talking about just coming up to the church and do this little ceremony of child dedication. I'm not That's kind of a ritual thing. It's meaningful if you really mean it. But really, honestly, in your mind, give them back to God. Give him permission to do what he sees fit with them done that in your mind sincerely that's what you need to do totally dedicate your child to God so therefore we see from the examples of Elkanah and Hannah what kind of parents we need to be to give our children the right start to grow up and be people of God we need to number one put the things of God first in our homes number two we need to be people of prayer number three we need to totally dedicate our children to God How's it going in your home? Is God and the things of God given top priority? Is prayer taking place regularly? Have you given your children back to God? Parenting is one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do in life. Make sure you do it God's way. Make sure you're following the examples of Elkanah and Hannah, and God will reward you. We're just going to take our time of silence, as we always do every Sunday, and I'm just going to give you a few moments, just open your hearts to God, and just listen to what God may be saying to you individually and personally this morning, and what God may be saying to you through this. And then after we're done that, I'll ask Sean and Curtis to come, and Cohen to come up. So I'll just give you a few moments of silence. Just listen to what God may be saying to you personally here this morning. Amen. So at this point, I'm going to ask Shauna, Curtis, and Cohen to come up here, please. I think you're standing outside of me. It's an interesting couple of verses in the Gospel of Mark. A familiar passage, probably to most of you, it says they were bringing their ch- the children to him so that he might touch them. Talking about Jesus, the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all." And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. The family, as I said, is a divine divine institution ordained by God from the beginning of time. Children are a heritage of the Lord, committed by him to their parents for care, protection, and training for his glory. It's important that all parents recognize this sacred obligation and their responsibility to god in this matter so these parents now curtis and shauna they have recognized the sacredness of their charge and they are now bringing back to the lord their treasure which god has entrusted to them and in so doing they are publicly acknowledging their responsibility for the nurture and admonition of this child in the ways of righteousness and godliness So it's something that they are doing and they long to do in front of their entire church family to publicly say that they are committing themselves to give this child back to God. They are committing themselves to raise this child for God and to teach this child the things of God. So I'm going to ask you parents, Curtis and Shauna, do you solemnly promise before God and these witnesses that you will with God's help and guidance, undertake to bring little Cohen to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, making use of all the helps God has given you in the family, in the church, and in the Sunday school. of the Lord Jesus Christ, we present this child, Cohen Michael Diddick, to God, to his protection, and to his saving grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for Cohen. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that he is already. Thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted him to Curtis and Shauna. Thank you, Lord, that they are making this step now to commit themselves to raising this child for you. Lord, I pray you give Curtis and Shauna, both of them, a great deal of your wisdom and discernment. Lord, there's going to be difficult times ahead. There's going to be many joys, but there also will be difficulties. Help them, Lord, to commit themselves to walking with you through the difficulties, to staying close to you through the difficulties, to turn to each other the difficulties and turn to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom and discernment to understand little Cohen's personality as he starts to grow and develop, to understand the way he should be raised, as you have told us in your word, to raise up our children in the way they should go. And Lord, help them to understand what way that is. And Lord, that you'd give them wisdom and guidance. Lord, for little Cohen, I just pray your hand upon him, your hand of blessing on him. I pray, Lord, that you would give him a soft heart toward the things of God, that as he grows, he will have that thirst for you, and that as you give him understanding, when he comes to that age of understanding, Lord, that it will be just a natural thing for him to turn his heart toward you and give his life to you. Lord, you'd have your hand of blessing on him and raise him to be a strong man of God, who will be your servant in the days ahead. Lord, we give him back to you. This is your child. Please take him and use him to your glory and to your ministry. We pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's all I got in this little book of mine, but I'm going to add something. They're doing this publicly in front of their church family for a reason. Because they want their church family to be a part of this boy's life. So we as a church, we have a responsibility here as well to Curtis and Shauna and to Cohen. As he grows up in this church, we have a responsibility to be the church family that Curtis and Shauna need for the help that they're going to need in raising this child for you. It's hard to do it alone. They need a church body, a church family to hold them accountable, but not only that, to give them the support and give them the, the encouragement the strength they need as, as the years go on and as they raise Cohen. So we have a responsibility here as a church family to church, Curtis and Shauna and to Cohen. Do we, as a church family, are we ready to commit ourselves to Curtis and Shauna and to Cohen to be the church family that they are going to need as they raise this boy? That's the question we have. So if you as a church family, if you are willing to commit yourself to Curtis and Shauna and to Cohen and that to that end, I would just ask you to stand up and give Curtis and Shauna that assurance of your promise to them. So I want you guys to know you have a church family that want to be part of it and are committing ourselves to being a part of this. Lord God, I pray your blessing on us as a church family, that you'd give us your wisdom to be the church that Curtis and Shauna and Cohen are going to need in the years ahead. Help us to remember this promise and this commitment. May we walk in that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Yeah, be ah, it's time for the music team to come up, so <laughs>
1: Hearts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet none there was not one of them."